0: Thanks for checking out the Renew Life Church podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope that today's message encourages you. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, you guys could do so much better than that. Really, I just no. I'm kidding. Um Boy, it really feels very tender. It's okay, I'm good. Uh, It feels very tender in here, doesn't it? Do you guys feel that? And I think tonight's going to be really special. Leanne, I'm kind of excited that this is like the opening night and I'm here, which means I have to come back. Because once you come and you're the intro person, And, you know, one day we'll just fill a big building and we'll have thousands of women come and dwell. We'll just be the beginning of this. And we'll go, remember that time we squeezed in and we were all hot and tired and sitting on metal, metal chairs, but God had a plan. And so uh, it's really an honor to be with you. And we had such a good time this morning. Uh, I'm going to say hands. Who did come this morning? And then, okay, who didn't? Just raise your hand. We want to judge you. Just lift your hand. No, I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. Don't, don't, don't. Leanne might have a place of no judgment, but I'm all about judging you. So raise your hand so I can shame you into preach. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That's horrible. Um, Pull out your Bibles to the book of John. I want to talk about two things. First of all, This is my last meeting. I've done six meetings since Friday night, and I'm excited. I get to go home tomorrow, but I'm kind of, I'll be honest, I'm a little loose, so I got to be honest. I don't know what I'm about to say tonight, so just be careful, Um, but I do kind of feel like it's Sunday night, and it's, it's actually a holiday tomorrow. Right? Do you guys have no school tomorrow? So, thank God for no—we get up at like 5.30 in the morning, get our kids out the door by 6.30. Oh, no, no that's not true. I'm lying. It's like 6.30, and they're out the door by 7.20, and it is—it's tough. And so it's kind of a love-hate. Do you feel that way? Like, it's good because then it's quiet, and everyone's gone, and you feel like someone else is parenting your children for eight hours. And I always feel like I can be a great mom for like six hours a day. Do you know what I mean? Like, once it's 24 hours, I'm like, yeah, good mom left at like one— So now I'm Mean Mom. Welcome to Mean Mom. Um, My brand new book called Leap Into Love just launched this last month. And actually, in less than 48 hours, we'll be doing a online study called um, Leap Into Love, Living Present to Your Purpose on the Planet. If you've never done a study with me, uh, this happened when I wanted to... I wrote a book called Radical Growth, and I wrote it um, simply, it's a long story, I won't tell you all the details, but I felt like I was supposed to write studies for women, but I was, and you know that you were with me this morning... I wasn't the intellectual person. I wasn't very studious. I wasn't the writer. And so I, it took a lot of effort for me. I had to go buy a dragon dictation. I had to have a lot of help. It wasn't just a simple process. I didn't just sit down and let the words flow. It was more like eight steps later, I had something. And um, I had this idea many years ago. I thought, you know what? I'm going to teach a Bible study on YouTube. Like, I'll do a Bible study on YouTube. I'd never seen it before. No one in my world was doing that. And so I went up to YouTube and I did this one video on this series on Matthew. And I'm sure no one has seen it in this room because I think there were 12 views on that study and my mom was at least two of them and we um and it was it was kind of a disaster i sent out a little um feedback sheet and one of the women i'll never forget wrote um it was okay it was kind of like in a, it was kind of like a glorified uh, bible school, bible uh, bible class in high school so i was like awesome and i remember just going like i don't want to do this again that was horrible i put myself out there and that's all you can say and then i was like no i i really feel like i'm supposed to do this so I went to my church and I said, listen, I just want to lead a Bible study. Maybe 30 women will show up. And I'm going to write a little book. And it was called Keep Calm, Finish Strong. And we were so late. I had it printed at a printer in town. And I'll never forget because it was bright red. And that red leaked on everyone's hands and on the seats. And one woman even said she had it at her passenger seat. And it actually leaked on her passenger seat. I was like, sorry. I have no, like, I don't have a lawyer. So I don't know. You'll have to just get some carpet cleaner. So So at that moment, we had about 100 women show up, and I thought, okay, there's something here. Well, meanwhile, which I'll share tonight, we transitioned, and I went into being the More Revolution Director, which was an organization, a nonprofit at Bethel Church, and I went to lead that organization, and I kind of... I kind of shelved women's Bible studies. And I thought, well, that's not the direction I'm going. But I kept having this in my heart. And I ended up writing a study called I Do Hard Things, which was the year we transitioned. And I did another conference for women in my city that I had that I had lived in. And I thought, okay, there's still momentum on this. And then I decided I would write another book called Radical Growth. So I wrote that book and thought one day, I'll throw it up on Facebook and I'll just teach through Facebook this, this devotional. Five minutes a day, I'll sit and I'll just talk about what my book is about each day of the of the week and then in 20 days we'll be done or 25 days well I didn't tell my husband because I knew he would say no because I knew he would say that's not a good idea so I just put it up on Facebook and thought maybe 50 friends will join me well that evening we had 500 people signed up for this Bible study so I sheepishly went into bed and I was like hey remember how I do things without thinking about them He goes, yeah, and I go, well, I kind of did it, and um, I got on Facebook and and said I was going to do this 20-day Bible study. It was going to be amazing, and women could join and invite their friends, and he was like, well, what's your plan? I said, well, I'm going to, you know, every morning, I'm going to feed the kids and put them in front of the, you know, the TV or in the living room, and then I'm going to preach the word quiet, you know, for 10, 15 minutes without any interruption, and people are going to get saved. It's going to be powerful, and he's like, that's a horrible idea. He's like, our boys are not going to sit and listen to you preach. I'm sorry. And then I said, okay, my second plan is to give them Benadryl and put them in the master bedroom and then repent. He's like, yeah, that's not going to work either. So, so I decided um, I would put it up and we ended up getting a help where I recorded it early on and we put it up. And by that time, we had 6,000 women join us on this study. And it was shocking because I realized that women need things quick. They needed like 10 minutes, just enough time where no one in your house can kill themselves. Um, they needed it to be Free, if not virtually free, because all of our money was going to raising families, and I had four kids and diapers at that point, and so a Starbucks was a luxury. That's just how my life was, and so I was like, it needs to be really free or cheap at least, and then I need it to be like a complete thought. Because if I had homework, I would be lost. And then I would come home. I would come home. I'd go to church and feel guilty that I hadn't done my homework. And I already felt guilty in life. I was already behind on laundry. I didn't want to be behind on my Bible. You know what I mean? So I said it needed to have homework if you wanted it, but you didn't have to have it. And I it needed to be a complete thought because if somebody said, What did we talk about last week? I would, I would have no idea. Literally, gun to my head, no idea. So that's kind of what we put it up. Next January, we hosted another Bible study. I did I do hard things online, and we had about twenty five thousand women join on that. And I thought, I'm there's something we're meeting in the body of Christ for women. And I don't, I'm shocked that I get to be a part of this because this wasn't my ultimate goal. But I, I feel like there's life on this. And eventually, Bethel Music came to us and said, "Would you be willing to start? Like, would you be willing to let us host your community on our new software? And we'll, we'll just kind of do it for you, and we'll invest if you go be the guinea pigs." And I said, "Well, I have, I actually." have more time than I have money. So I will be your guinea pig. Poke me, prod me, I don't care. You know, it'll, the swelling will go down. And so, so they put it up and we started a ministry called Truth to Table. Like farm to fork, truth to table. And the goal was that I would bring the Word of God, we would bring the Word of God to your table every single day because life happens around the table. And you know, everything happens on the table. Laundry, homework, sex, it all happens on the table. <laughs> So, you can do anything for five minutes. You can do anything for five minutes. That's not funny. That's inappropriate. So, um, the poor sound guys in the back, I just was, as I said it, I didn't look up. So, all that to say, uh, we started it, and then eventually Moral Revolution was growing, growing, growing with great worldwide like, we were traveling with Moral Revolution, and Truth the Table was growing at the same time, and there was a point where I realized, I'm actually going to hinder both these movements, because I am basically want to be all things to all men, and I'm not created to be all things to all men, which means I need to pass the torch. And so we ended up hiring friends of ours, Kate and Cole Zick, that now run Moral Revolution, and they are awesome, and they're taking it to new ends. South Africa has Revolution. They're working on a sex ed curriculum currently that they're going to launch in public schools. I mean, they're just going for it. But truth to table, we got a little office above a coffee shop in town, and we hired a few staff. And now we do all kinds of stuff. We have an online community uh, that is a membership, but then we also do like we host studies and we host empowerment courses. But the goal is just to help you get started and to know where to start. And that's really my goal. I'm not here to replace local church. I am a local church girl, and you better go to local church. You better go to church before you turn on Truth the Table. But eventually, we need someone to go with us a lot. When we're in transformation, we kind of need bite by bite, bite every single day to get us there. And so that's what Truth the Table is. So every January, I host an online study, and it is completely free to anybody who wants to come. It's online. It's 20 days. You sign up for it. I show up in your inbox every day, and I teach you through my book. You don't need a book to do the study. That's the goal. If that stops you, I would be so sad because that's not what this is And then Bethel TV came to us and said, would you be willing to let us um, host your study? And I said, well, my dream is that we would have four nights where I could teach and bring some of my girlfriends in to teach on this subject. And would you mind if we did it every Tuesday night? And they said, absolutely. We want to put it on Bethel TV. And I said, that's great, but I don't want women to pay for this. So if you want to host it, great, but I don't want women to have to pay for this because that's the goal of this. And they said, no problem. So they're investing. $15,000 to get this whole thing online so women can watch it all over the world. And so we currently have about 15,000 women that have signed up. We'll have thousands more in the next 24 hours. But I want you to join with me. So here's how you can do that. I have a phone number, and you grab your phone, and you text LOVE to this number. If you text LOVE to this number, you will get all the details. You won't miss out on one thing, and you'll be reminded. Um, Add your Social Security number and your PIN number, and um, we'll take care of you. But this is how you'll jump in. And then Tuesday night, I'll be live on Bethel TV for two hours, about, about an hour and a half really of me teaching my first series of leap into love and the whole goal and I'm spending way too much time on this the whole goal of this book was I was gonna write it and I was gonna call it um, self uh, no no self-acceptance and radical love that was gonna be my tagline like self-acceptance and growing in that but as I began to write this book I realized that the goal isn't that we just accept ourselves like the goal is it's great i love myself i'm confident i like my curves i like my skin color i like that's great but once we accept ourselves something radical happens in our lives and that is we begin to live fully present to our purpose on the planet it's not just about I like the way I am, but we actually start to engage and we decide that we'd rather be ourselves than anybody else in the room, and something powerful happens when that when that that begins. So the whole first week, I talk about the ten uh, signs of of a lack of self acceptance or self rejection, things like perfectionism, self criticism. Uh, obsession of appearance. I'll go through all of those things and it's not a shame game, I promise. It's literally just eye-opening to where you see where you have abandoned yourself in your process and then we go to the next week I talk about uh, basically um, recovering yourself, the plan, and then we go into um, how do we stay connected and the, the process and then lastly, I want us to become agents of change where the way we talk to the women in our lives and our sisters and our daughters, we actually have the right verbiage that allows people to be themselves with us and so we'll talk about that I spent too much time on that but anyway these are what we have left out of the books in the back I don't have anything else so if you want it you better grab it now because you'll have it ready for Tuesday evening but you don't have to have a book I already said that okay is that good you guys are with me and I just said that very fast too that's another thing I'm working on it's like just because you say it fast doesn't mean you're going faster okay let's pray shall we all right. Jesus, help. Amen. <laughs> so John chapter 14 is really kind of where we're going to stay for a minute. This is Jesus speaking to us. And he says, peace I leave you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. John 14, 27. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. I love what this means because in the Amplified, it gives us a little bit more. It says, stop allowing yourself to be agitated. (laughs) Just gets right to the point, right? Stop being agitated. And then it says, and don't be disturbed And do not permit yourself to be fearful. How many of you know that there is always a choice in the middle of our lives, in the middle of crisis, in the middle of everything that's coming at us, where we have a choice to be fearful or to be faith-filled? And sometimes we can be both at the same time. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes we can say, I don't know what's coming. I don't know what's ahead of me, but I definitely am not going to serve fear because fear is going to lead me down a path where I end up bankrupt emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. So don't allow yourself to be troubled. And I love this thought because it means when you're troubled, it actually in the Greek means that you're, you're shook back and forth and you're shaken and you actually let uh, you move back and forth and that the parts go back and forth until you let go of what you were holding onto. So Jesus says, don't be so troubled by anything that you let go of the very thing you were trying to hold onto And when he says it, he means, hey, there are things coming in your life where it's going to challenge what you think you're holding on to. And when you go and hold on to it, it's going to shake you to a point where you think you're going to let go. And he says, don't let go of it. Whatever you do in the middle of the storm, don't let go. of That is the thing that you wanted to hold on to. And he says to them this very thing, and you know the truth is is when we are shook inside, we often let go of things, and the first thing we let go of is our peace. Come on. Peace is one of the most valuable assets of your life. And everything's trying to take our peace. You turn on the TV and they're talking about things that are lacking peace. You go online and you see somebody post something and it's all this and it's all that. Everything is really trying to rob our peace. Do you ever understand? I mean, I feel like my peace, I have to hold on to peace most days. Does anybody understand? I mean, am I just the only one? I mean, there are things coming at me all the time, whether it's in my marriage, whether it's in my kids, whether it's a bill I didn't expect. We went to sell our house and I was excited because we've only had one house in Reading and it's a great house, but we bought a little small because I'm one of those that believes you should, you should buy what you can afford. I just have a real conviction about that. And I, I like to live debt-free, which means I oftentimes will live less than what I have because I like to, I like to pay for what I have. And, so, and that hasn't always been the case. I just have learned the hard way. Can I get an amen by that? So I was like, okay, I think we're ready to buy a house. You know, we've saved a lot of money and we're ready to do this. And I just would like a fourth bedroom because I call my car my fourth bedroom. And I would like a pool because we live in hell basically. It's so hot. Reading is 110 in the summer for like two or three weeks. And I don't do heat. Is anybody else? Like I just, my brain starts to melt. I even did, I even researched this because it was so significant in my marriage. He was like, there's something wrong with you. And I'm like, I'm sure there is. And so I did some research and they literally said that we stopped functioning 12% just by heat, not being able to function. I was like, I told you, see. And so um. And so I was like, let's buy this house. So we found this beautiful home and it was it was expensive, but it was perfect. It had five bedrooms, it had a pool. I was like, this could be like my my family home for a long time. My parents just retired. They don't have much money. They'll probably be living with us in a couple of years. They don't know that, but I know that. And um <laughs> And so I'm like this would be a great house to have four boys and my family come in and this will be great. And so we let's let's put our house for sale. So we throw our house for sale and the the realtor says, "Okay, let's do some work first so that way when someone comes to put an offer on your house, you're ready to go." I said, "Okay, great." So he comes in and we we stage it and I clean out things I have never cleaned out in my house. I mean, we we were I was like, "Wow, we are pack rats. I did not know I should be on the Hoarder's show." It was so bad. And I'm cleaning things and I'm painting things and finding they take the pictures and I'm like, this house is pristine. It is ready to go. And finally he says, you know, one thing you probably should do is a pest report. So when people come in and you've already done the pest report, it's a lot easier for them to buy the house. I said, okay, great. We'll do the pest report. We've been in the house for three years. No problem. We get a call <laughs> within 24 hours. And he goes, well, he's like, you have $18,000 of termite damage in your house. It was like, $800? He's like, no, 8000 No, no, I didn't say that. 8000 No, no. What did I just say? Yeah, thank you. $18,000. This is what happens when you have children. You give your brain to people. $18,000. And I looked at Vin and I was like, well, apparently we're not moving. Because that's an incredible amount of money and we don't even know what else is going on. And I found at that very moment, I thought, now this isn't fair. Like, I've been a good steward of our income. I've been getting ready. I've been doing all of this. This isn't fair. But I realized at that moment that life is like you, it's like right when you think you're ready to do anything, you get an $18,000 termite bill. It's like somewhere you're going, I'm going to go, this is going to be, okay, it's not going to be great. Hey, I'm going to have a kid. Oh, no, you're going to be on bed rest. Hey, I'm going to get this. And it constantly feels like the moment we have peace about something, we have something warring at us to take our peace. And what I realized was I said, okay, no problem. Then there's a time to sell a house. There's a time to buy a house. It's not the time. No problem. We'll spend the next year refurbishing the house, getting rid of those little demons, and we'll move on and we'll keep going. And so I just think it's critical to understand that I think it's really important that when we face anything in life, we ask ourselves, is this thing trying to take my peace? Because peace is the most valuable thing that you will have. The most peaceful person in the room is the most powerful person in the room. Nobody wants their doctor to freak out. (laughs) Could you imagine the doctor? I don't know what we're going to do. Nurse. We'd be like, next doctor, please. I would like somebody. Right? So the more peaceful he is, the more we stay connected to what we need to do. And that's what happens here. Matthew chapter 14, I'm not going to have you turn there, but Jesus in verse 22, he's beginning to have a massive movement on the earth and he's having miracles. And But at one moment, Jesus wants to grieve his His cousin has died, been beheaded because he believed in him. And so he tells his disciples, you guys go out in the water. I'm going to go away. I'm going to grieve. And um, I'll I'll come back and talk to you guys later after I've talked to my father. But you guys go out there. And so all the guys get in the boat and they start to go across the water. And immediately uh, they're hit with a storm. And the storm begins to hit them in such a way that they are battling the storm hour after hour after hour. And at one point they think they're going to die. And it says, uh, it says on verse 22, it says immediately Jesus made the disciples go get in the boat and go ahead of him on the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Verse 23, after he dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night he was alone and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it shortly before dawn Jesus went out to them walking on the lake when the disciples saw him walking on the lake they were terrified it's a ghost they cried in fear but Jesus said take courage it is I do not be afraid do not be afraid that same word afraid is the same word that we talk about dropping your peace. that's the exact word there and so what's really interesting is this the disciples get into a boat. They think they're going to die. And what's interesting is that many of them were vocational fishermen, which meant this wasn't something they weren't used to. This was something they were used to. They were like the fishermen's kids. Like they went to, they went to school smelling like fish. Their grandpa smelled like fish. They had uncles. They had fleets of boats. This wasn't like a, I'm going to go out fishing on a Saturday. This was their livelihood. And at this point, they think they're going to die. And theologians will tell you they believe it was a nine-hour storm. But eventually, Jesus comes out to meet them. Now, who invited them into the storm? Jesus. So you're saying that sometimes we can face storms in our life, and it doesn't have to do with us disobeying Jesus, but it means that we're actually going the right direction? Sometimes we we think struggle is linked to disobedience. But I want to unpack that. That's not always true. Sometimes the storm is exactly what God is bringing us into. It's not because he's mean. It's because he wants to show you a side of him that we would not know on the shore. The God of the storm often looks and feels and and resembles a different God than the God of the shore. And you begin to see the reality of who he is. So sometimes God invites us in the storm and we get weary. But what Jesus is trying to do is he's trying to get you to stop focusing just on the storm, but to focus on your reaction to the storm. Your reaction to the storm will either keep you in the storm for a really long time, or it will take you through the storm and to the other side. The Israelites should have been, it should have been a quick trip. But because the Israelites grumbled and complained and got depressed and got anxious and didn't want to be people of faith, they stayed in the desert year after year after year. Sometimes I meet people that have gone through horrible things, but they end up sticking with it and it ends up defining them rather than serving them. And so Jesus promises this, Jesus doesn't promise no storms in our lives. He says, but take courage. I have overcome the storm. Which means whatever you are going through today is not the end. If you're not done, then you're not done. And sometimes in life, you gotta hang on and wait because he told you to go that direction and you have to say you know what he said go this way so i'm going to go this way and i'm going to hang on and i need jesus to come and i do feel like i'm going to die and i do feel like i can't breathe and i do feel like i'm not going to make it but the truth is i would rather be in the boat in a storm with jesus because he told me to than to be on the shore without him and so this is true You don't always need to pray for peace. You have the Prince of Peace living in you. All you have to do is listen to him. He's trying to help you keep the peace in your life. So where does peace happen? It happens in our minds. And it really is not just about doing the right thing or experiencing the right thing, but it is about surrendering our thought process in peace. And I want us to turn to the book of Isaiah 26, three. Now, if you've never been to Isaiah, it's literally the middle of your Bible. Just pop it open, and I want us to go to Isaiah 26.3. Now, I, I felt led to preach this tonight because I felt like there were some of you in the room that really needed to hear from God about your storm. And so I want to encourage you tonight that God knows where you are. He's not afraid of what he got when he got you. And he's going to guide you in whatever you're going through. I can tell you and I can testify as someone who has been through some severe storms in my life that God has been faithful. Sometimes I did feel like I didn't know what he was doing and I wondered if he was torturing me. You ever felt that way with God? Like, just get it over with. Die, let me kill me. I want to go to heaven. It's a good place to be. But I've found that oftentimes when you've gone through the storm, this is critical, and you make it, you now become someone. Who, can, who knows how to go through the storm, and you now become one of the most powerful people in the room when it comes to that storm. Because you can say, I've been through it, I've gone through it, I know what it takes, and you're not gonna die there. I'll show you how to make it. And you begin to be a person of hope if you allow the storm to define, to, to create what it needs to create in you. So Isaiah 26.3 simply says this, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Now if you look at the original meaning of this passage, you'll see you will keep him in perfect. That word perfect in the Hebrew is the word shalom. Everybody say shalom. Shalom. Shalom means peace, peace to you, peace as you come, peace as you go. It's a word that uh, the Jewish community uses, and we're used to that word, shalom. And so the author is saying, you will keep him in shalom, peace, right? But when you define the word peace in the Hebrew, you'll find that it's the exact same word, shalom. So why would the author repeat himself? Why would the author say, you will keep him in shalom, shalom, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusted you. Why would he say that? Because he's telling us that peace is not a one-time moment. Peace is a continual thing that carries us through the season. So peace isn't just one thing that we get peace and that's good, check, I'm a peaceful person. No, no, peace is something that intensifies as we go through life and we learn to focus on it. We learn to cultivate it and it keeps us steady in the middle of the storm. See, this is critical to understand is that he's saying to us, listen, sometimes we think God just wants us to get peaceful so we can keep going. But what he's saying is, is I actually wanna teach you what peace looks like when you're hanging out with me. You know, the world will tell us that peace is going to, going to the spa. The world will tell us that peace is, well, once you get enough money in the bank, you'll be good. Once the oil prices go up, everything will work out. I feel like that ministers to you guys. Um, <laughs> you know, once I lose the weight, then I'll be peaceful. Once my husband gets it together, then I'll be peaceful. And all of that is a mirage because peace will always be an inside job. Peace is not something that we possess. It's something that we literally, becomes us. We become people of peace because the God of peace lives on the inside of us. And so he says to them, you will keep him in shalom, shalom. You know, I relate it to this. When I first had a baby, I didn't know if I was going to be a baby person. I don't know if you understand. Like I, I liked kids. I also liked puppies. It wasn't like I felt very different about either of them. And so I remember at first being pregnant, people would say, oh, you're going to love being a mom. Oh, just, it's going to be amazing. And I don't know what it is, and this could be just me, but I feel like when you're pregnant, people want to hand you their babies. I don't know what that is, but they're like, hey, here you go. You're like, I'm already making one. Thank you so much. And so I was like, I don't know if I'm a baby person. You know, I'm not sure. And when I had Judah, after 34 hours of labor, two hours of pushing, and an emergency C-section, so I went, I found that... When Judah began to cry for the very first time, I did something instinctively that no one taught me to do. I just did it. When he began to cry, I began to just do this. Shh, How many of you have done that to your babies before? Or your husbands? Or your puppies, right? So we, we do it instinctively because we want to soothe them into peace. Now there's another thing we do to get people to be peaceful and quiet. We do this. Shh. Shh, right? In my house that means don't make me say, be quiet because that's going to be another conversation, right? So what he's saying is, is God doesn't shush us into peace, right? Jennifer, shh, shut up, come on. Shh, be quiet, trust God. Shh, trust me, right? No, he's going, come here, give it to me. Shh, 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 sh- shh, sh- shh, shh. But God, what about, shh, shh, sh- shh, 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 But I don't have it, shh, 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 sh. Come here, give it here. Give, come here, Climb in my lap. I'm gonna hold you. I'm gonna soothe you. I'm gonna carry you in the middle of this. And this is what life looks like for us. As believers in God, he doesn't shush us because he's got a lot of other things to do. He says, I actually want to soothe you into peace that every time you face something you don't understand that feels too big, you don't know how to get out of it, you don't know how to fix it, you don't know how to make it happen. He goes, Shh, let me soothe you into peace. Because if your mind is stayed on me, I'll keep you in peace. And this is critical. That word stayed, that word stayed in the Hebrew means set up, set upon, held up. It's like this book on this podium. He says, listen, uh, I will keep you in shalom, shalom, whose mind has been propped up, held up. I mean, that's, that's significant. In fact, when I was studying this, I was thinking about a season in my life that was one of the worst seasons I've ever had, worst moments in my life. And, uh, You know, I have four boys, which is wild. Does anybody have sons? Just wave at me. Or you've had brothers, multiple brothers, because I kind of feel like girls get a, a pass on that as well. And so, having four boys, it is—it's nonstop. And I don't have an act—a hyperactive kid, except for my dog. Like he's hyperactive, but the rest of them are pretty, pretty stable. But, um, but it's—it's it's a lot. And there's a lot of crying that happens because boys are always challenging what's possible. Like, is it possible for me to throw the fork by your head and not hit you? I guess it's not. Like, boys are always ch- like, let me try to jump from rock to rock. And you know, this is why men often are better at things because they practice all the time. As they were little. They just do it. I mean, I, my boys, they are constantly practicing and failing and practicing. I mean, I'll put my kids to bed and their knees are just, everything's bruised because they've been practicing over and over and over. And, and so I've, I just have learned that there's lots and lots of crying. Well, my sister and I, we had seven kids in five years together. You can imagine. And my dad, who's Italian, very intense Italian, every time the kids would cry, he would say, are you going to get up for that? And we would say, No. We have to listen for the cry we got to know the cries anybody like that like if i got up for every cry i would never ever sit down I'd be like next next i said crying is like thunder the more silence after it the worse it is right it's like thud one one thousand two one thousand i better get up for this one there hasn't been a sound yet do you know what i'm saying you have to be mine if you have a little girl that's wonderful but you are not allowed to judge us right now I reject your judgment. You're like, my daughter's never done that. Right, because you don't live with wild people. And so I remember Lisa Bevere telling me, she said, you know, I never said the word crap until I had four boys. And <laughs> she goes, now I say the word crap all the time. I'm like, I know, I know exactly what you mean. And so, you know, uh, we have a lot of crying and a lot of things that happen. And one day I was getting ready in my bedroom, my bathroom, and I heard crying. And I knew immediately what kind of crying it was. And Grayson was, our third son, the tuxedo kid, was crying. And it was a cry of pain. It was a cry of of intensity. And so I went oh, I got to find him. So I went, we had just moved into this house and we have two stories. And so I'm wandering around looking for him and I look in the bedroom where I had left both the boys and they weren't there, Beckham and Grayson, because the older two boys were at school. So I go outside, I go down the stairs and I wander around to the kitchen. And as I wander around to the kitchen, I see Grayson banging on the glass doors. And I I go, oh, he must have, Beckham must have locked him out. So I walk over and I open the door and I say, Beckham, I said, Grayson, did Beckham lock you out? And he goes, I fell out of the window. (laughs) I said, I'm sorry, what? I fell out of the window. And so I pick him up. And we have kind of a deck like this where the stairs are just like this. And I go down the deck like this. And I look up to our second story window. I look down to the cement. I look back up and I see that the screen is broken. And I realize that Grayson has now fallen out of our second story window on the cement and when I pick, I, I'm holding him, I look over him. When I look at him, blood starts coming out of his mouth and down his body. And I realize he has internal bleeding, like something's happening. And so I run inside, I clear the table off and I lay Grayson down on the table. I grab my phone, call 911. You gotta come, hurry, my baby's gonna, like, he's not okay, please come get him. And so they come in, they grab him, they cut his clothes off, put him on a stretcher and they go, who's going with us? I said, I, I'm going with him. My mom, I'm going with him. So we get into the emergency vehicles and drive all the way down to the emergency room and we walk into the ER, the back of the ER, and I have this eerie feeling because I had been there a year before for a near drowning for the same kid. And as we walk in, this is why I look old, this, as we walk in, <laughs> the team of doctors and nurses are waiting for us, they take us into the room and they start asking me questions and they're quiet. And I'm trying to ask more and more, like, what's happening? Is he okay? And they're, they're being quiet, which is partly because they're doing their job, but also for liability. They can't say anything because they will be liable for what they say. And so as they're working on Grayson, the doctor says, listen, mom and dad, we need to get Grayson to radiology to get a scan on the inside of him because he, if he has internal bleeding, we need to know now. Who's going with him? I'm going with him. So Grayson and I make our way down to uh, the radiologist. And as we open the door, it's just myself. Grayson and the technician and he says to me mom we need to get a scan on Grayson very quickly. So what I need you to do is put this cover on. I need you to stand next to Grayson. I need you to talk to Grayson. Try to keep Grayson alert. Now, at this point, Grayson is totally out of it. His eyes are open, but he is not with me. He is white as the sheet that's around him. And he is, he's there, but he's not there. And he said, just begin to talk to him and keep him awake because we don't want him to fall asleep. But secondly, I need you to try to keep him as still as possible because he needs to get a good scan and if he moves around, we won't get a good scan and, and I'll have to do it over and over. So just put your hand under him, right where his head is and hold him so when he goes in and out, he doesn't move. I said, I can do that. Have you ever had a moment like this where you think, I'm gonna, I, nothing else matters? These two things are all that I'm gonna do. I'm gonna give my heart to this. And so I'm leaning over Grayson, and Grayson's blue eyes, his face is swollen. He has dried blood around him. He's got a neck brace on, a sheet, and it's me and him in this little room, and the technician's behind the glass, and he's going in and out. And I'm going, Grayson, I love you, baby. You're gonna be okay. We're here to help you. I love you. Mommy's gonna help this is why we're doing this just stay right here be with me Grayson and he's he's going in and out of the machine and it's just him and I in this cold room and I'm just watching him and he goes in and out and on the third time I'll never forget it I say I'm talking to Grayson I see him take this deep breath and when he takes a deep breath it's like color comes right in his face and he locks eyes on me And I'm like, Grayson, you're right, you're here, baby. Mommy's right here, and I'm looking at him. Oh, I got scared. Sorry. I was <sighs> like, I literally was like, why are there five men walking on the same, Terrified me. Boy, you guys are awkward. You guys are so awkward. And so as I'm leaning over at Grayson, he takes a deep breath and he locks and I realize he's there with me. And so I'm talking to him and finally the technician walks over to us. He goes, I got a good scan and I was such in mama bear mode. You ever, I remember not even thinking, I just grabbed his arm, which I know is probably not appropriate, but I just grabbed his arm and I said, <laughs> I said, is my baby going to live? Like, I just need to know, is he going to live? Is he going to die? Like, I don't know what's happening. But see, I've I've lost people close to me. And I know these things happen. You're not immune to any of it. And I go, is he going to die? And the technician says to me, I'm not really allowed to say anything. He said, but if it was really bad, there would be a nurse with you. And I remember tears are streaming down my face. And I go, thank you. (laughs) Thank you. So we gather our stuff to go and we go to leave and a nurse comes in to get us and I go, get out! (laughs) I didn't. (laughs) I know where I'm going. Thank you so much. We walk back to the place where the doctor is and we wait for a few minutes and the doctor comes in and he goes, well, Mom and Dad, you're not going to believe this, but there is nothing wrong with Grayson. He said, the blood that you see was that when he fell on the, on, when he fell, his tongue got bit. He bit his tongue so hard and tongues apparently bleed a lot. They do. Okay. And so there's blood all down the front of us See, confirmation, M, or two or more agree then it's truth. And so he goes, you know, uh, it's amazing, but if it had grace in it, it had been a maybe even Three months later and his bones would have fortified it would have been a lot worse but he's still a bit like a gumby and he was he was he was able to to be okay and he said so you're welcome to grab your things and you're welcome to leave and i said well they can leave but i'm staying and i would like a bed you know like and i would like some drugs <laughs> i'll take street drugs i don't care i'll repent later and um so we gathered our stuff and it's so eerie from like one minute where you think you're gonna, everything's gonna fall apart and he's gonna die to the next minute where a miracle has happened and he's okay. And we get out to the parking lot and Ben and I are holding him in this like Grayson sandwich and we both have tears streaming down our face and we look up to heaven and I say, God, thank you for one more day with Grayson. That's all I'm promised, one more day, thank you. And then I look at Grayson and I say, you are not allowed to come back here. We have a medical deductible and you've used it twice <laughs> and you have three other brothers <laughs> as i look at isaiah it says you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you and as i'm studying this passage instantly i'm reminded of the moment in the room. With Grayson as I'm in there and he's laying on this table in trauma. He's laying on this table, not sure what's going to happen next. And he said, Havilah, remember how you were speaking over Grace?" And I said, yeah, I remember. He goes, that's what I do to you. Every time you don't know what to do, every time you feel like it's too much, every time you think you're going under, I look at you and I say, baby, we're going to make it. (laughs) You're not going under. I love you. We're here to help you. You're not going to die here. I've got you. I'm going to keep you. He goes, and I'm looking at your eyes. He goes, remember how you looked at Grayson's eyes? I go, yeah, I remember. He goes, remember what you saw? I said, yeah, I saw his future. I saw everything that was ahead of him. I, I was more invested in him living than, than he was invested in living. I said, I saw his future. I saw my grandkids in his eyes. I saw dollar signs. No, I'm kidding. I saw <laughs> with Grayson that might be possible. But um, I said, he goes, do you remember how you felt? And I said, yeah. And he goes, that's how I feel about your life. <laughs> He said, I look over you and I say, we're going to do this. We're here to help. You're not going to die here. I got you. He said, remember how you had your hand under his head and you were holding it steady? He said, that's what I do when you don't know what's going on. He said, I, I reach under your thoughts. I reach under everything that's going on. And I lock in and I keep you, I keep you so steady when you want to go, what's going on over here? And what about this? And how is it going to happen? And what about the future? God goes, no, no, I got you. He said, some, you just have to sit where I have you and don't move and don't try to get up and don't try to fix it and don't try to do it. Just sit where you are and let me be God. Let me be your savior. You need a savior. That's why you came to me. You need me to rescue you. You need me to help you. You need me to, to navigate all of this. I wanna lean over you. I wanna speak love over you. I wanna hold it all together. You don't have to hold it all together. You can't even try. Even if you think you are, it's a mirage. You aren't holding anything together. The God of the universe is holding your life in His hands. God wants to keep you in shalom, shalom, soothe you into peace, whose mind has been propped up, stayed, held up in the middle of everything. Because He trusts in you. Because He trusts in you. And I love that that verse in the Bible that talks about Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him. And that's what it's talking about. Stop propping up your life on the way you figured it out. Stop propping up your relationship on all the books you read. Stop propping up by the title you have or the income you have or the relationships you have. Stop, it's a mirage. There are going to be storms. I love you. I know you're like, this is not encouraging. But I'm, I'm, not, I'm not here to entertain you. I'm here to give you a strategy. I'm here to tell you that no one is immune from the good or the bad. And the bad is not as personal as you might think. The Bible says we live in a fallen world, which means all of our lives are touched with darkness. If you have never been hurt, I want you to stand so we can beat you up right now. Let's just get it over with. Life is tough, but so are you, right? Life is tough, but you know what? Instead of resisting the storm, if you actually said, I'm gonna learn every flippin' lesson I can learn in this thing, because when I come back here, I wanna get through this as fast as possible come on, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. He doesn't say, I will rescue you from the valley of the shadow of death. Call on my name and I'll rescue you out of it because you believe in me. No, no, he says, you're gonna walk through it, but I'm gonna be right there with you. You will never have to do anything alone. How many of you can find some comfort in that? You don't have to do anything alone. Well, what about my kids and what about this? No, no, nothing. That is the hope of our salvation. Not that we somehow uh, have it all together or get a better life than everybody else. No, the hope of our salvation is you never have to do life on your own again. Comforter, counselor, the great I am, leaning in and telling you. And here's the truth. Many of us, when we are in trauma, Or I just simply mean when life takes the breath out of us. A lot of us that are the doers in the room, I'm a doer. Is anybody else like that? Like give me something to do so I can feel better about the chaos. God says, stop trying to get up. Lay on the operating table. Stop it. You're only prolonging your injuries. Sit where you are. I'm the healer. I've come to heal you. I've come to heal your mind. I've come to heal your heart. I've come to heal your past. I've come to heal your broken relationships, but you're going to have to let me be God. And if you stay busy and you run here and there and go everywhere, you actually don't know how to sit with me. And sitting with me is the only way I can heal you. And so tonight I want to pray for you. I felt this was a prophetic word as well as Gosh, I just think it's a now word in general for the world. But I want to pray for you. Just just find a way to receive. You might want to put your stuff down or close your eyes. I know sometimes it feels like we're ready to jump up and go. And we will, I promise. But these are the moments when life changes. These are the moments when everything shifts. These are the moments when the Holy Spirit comes in and He encounters us in a way that we, we are never the same again. When Jesus walks in the room, everything comes with Him. When Jesus walks in the room, everything comes with Him. All healing, all deliverance, all power. Uh, everything comes with Him when He walks in the room. And that's all we want. Jesus, walk in the room. Our hope is in you, you alone. Our peace is in you, you alone. Our strategy is in you. Our confidence is in you. Our funding is in you. Come on. Our healing is in you. Jesus, walk into the room. Walk into the room. We hope you've enjoyed our podcast today. You can find out more about our ministry at RenewLifeChurch.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Also, our app is available for download so that you can stay up to date. Again, we are so glad you joined us. If you're in the Midland Odessa area, we invite you to come be our guest at one of our services. Have a great day, and we hope to see you soon.